Welcome to the conversation. We're back. It's our 11th season, which means we've been at this for over a decade, which might be depressing in and of itself until you realize that it's only one year longer than the last brand new standalone Donkey Kong game. Then it becomes straight up demoralizing. But I kid, we, uh, we live in some interesting times with a quite abundance of topics for us to discuss and games to play. We've got a lot of great plans for The Conversation and DK Vine this year, but we'll get into some of that on our second episode of the season, because on this premiere, we're joined by a very busy person with a very tight schedule, as he has a game coming out really soon. Rob Oss of Dinosaur Bites, mastermind behind the upcoming time-traveling 3D platformer and already verified DKU game, Clive N. Wrench, releasing on February 24th for Nintendo Switch, PlayStations 4 and 5, and Steam. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, Cameron's here uh, too, by the way. Hi, Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> just quietly in the corner. Yeah, no, no. Speak whatever you want to, Cameron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Rob, we've been traveling in the same circles for several years now, kind of orbiting each other, missing each other in the night. Uh, we've actually chatted a few times, and we've talked about having you on this podcast for a couple of those years now. But we decided it would work best when the game finally had a release date locked down and we were heading towards launch. And that took a while. <laughs> this has been... Yeah, thanks, thanks for the reminder of that, yeah. Yeah, this has been 12 years of your life, if, if yeah. I'm correct. How does it feel to finally be at the finish line? Surreal. It's very, very odd. Especially when, uh, you know, members of the press have keys of the game and are able to play it and mm. i'm just sort of uh after having been focused on it for so long and always able to make a change when i want to to now be in a position where it's too late to do that is very strange <laughs> i gotta know how much of those uh, 12 years went solely towards coming up with the uh, really clever puns for the world names those are incredible um outpaces most triple a games uh Characters have really spectacular names as well. Um, I'm still not over how brilliant Vlad the Impala is. <laughs> Such a See, perfect the, name. The the thing is that um, I think it's because I work the opposite way than most people, and also probably the opposite way than you're supposed to work, in that I come up with a pun first, and then create the character around that. So the only reason that Vlad the Impala exists is because I thought, oh, that would be a funny pun. See, that's the way I would work. That's the way I would operate. But I feel like that's why most of the industry ignores my suggestions. So well, it, we know this. Is, we know it's the gra way "grab by the ghoulies" was made. So it's we know it's a winning formula. <laughs> Maybe not so uh, such financially viable. Maybe I shouldn't have gone that way. You know, you never know. You've, you, you know, there's, there has to be a first trailblazer, right? Like that's true. Yeah, I mean, then you're just going to be seen as a genius. Oh, why didn't we think of that? Focus on the puns first and the game second. I, I mean, it makes sense to me, but we're obviously going to be circling back to Clive and Wrench discussion on the conversation in just a couple of weeks because the game will be launching very soon. Uh, but I realize, you know, our own six degrees of Kevin Bacon-style shared universing aside, Clive and Wrench is essentially a brand new IP, and we've got to make the audience understand it and believe in it. So, Rob, you're here. Uh, you're the best person to do this. Why don't you walk our listeners quickly through the plot and the game structure just to get everyone up to speed in case they haven't been keeping up with it, in case they didn't watch that 
brilliant eight minute overview that uh, you did for Numskull Games. Uh, what is Clive and Wrench? Okay, uh, no pressure then. Uh, okay, so uh, it starts off with uh, Nancy, who is a an inventor and a uh, bit of a recluse, uh, wakes up to find that the blueprints for her time machine, which she had created all on her own, had been stolen. Uh, and of course they've been stolen by uh, an evil doctor, because who else would steal them? Uh-huh. And at which point she then realises that time travel in his hands is a terrible idea and she now feels guilty that of course it's her invention that caused the uh, issues in the first place so she asks her cousin Clive and her apprentice Wrench to help her out. Unfortunately she only has one good prototype of a time machine which is her wrist mounted one uh, and so they get stuck with an old fridge that she converted. Uh, so the quest is to go through time following in Dr. Dorcas's footsteps, try and undo all of the issues he's causing, and then finally stop him from taking over the world. Now, Is that the, concise enough? Yes, I, I, I think that about sums it up. The, the time-traveling fridge. So mm. there's been some debate uh, behind the scenes here about the time-traveling fridge. Is it more of a TARDIS reference, or is it more of an Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull reference? I I would assume it's a Back to the Future early script reference. Oh. It is all three of those things. <laughs> so it's a Back to the Future early script reference because their original time machine was the fridge, and I'm, I'm impressed that you knew that because that's like deep trivia. Uh, it's... An Indiana Jones, because I kind of like the idea that it's lead-lined and therefore that protects protects them against uh, radiation. Uh, <laughs> and it's a big blue box because, of course, Doctor Who travels around in a big blue box. So you're right on the money. That's probably the last time we'll be right during this episode, but we'll see. I'm going to hold on to that one. <laughs> Circle back to it. Yeah, like a time machine. So... I think it's safe to say Clive and Wrench has been on both our radars before we had the slightest inkling it would fall under our narrow peer view of uh, games DK Vine covers. Um, we're all, and I'm saying like, hi all myself, much of the staff and our audience, all massive fans of 3D platformers starring furry weirdos. And, uh, as such, well, we want to get into some of the thought process behind it and your inspirations, but it, we kind of got to do our due diligence here and dig into the reason why DK Vine can now give full coverage to Clive and Wrench. <laughs> and that's it, that it features a cameo from Trouser from off of Ukulele. So, uh, yeah, how did that happen? How did Trouser's little guest appearance come about? I, th- I think mainly I've got uh, Daily to thank for that at Platonic. Um, we'd been... Uh, Twitter mutuals for a while and had been friendly. She tried out the game and gave me some feedback. Then I asked her if she wanted to voice a character, which she very kindly did. Uh, so keep an eye out for Nevermore never more the Scarecrow. Uh, and then she suggested that perhaps there was room for some sort of uh, multiverse-type crossover. And then, of course, I got in touch, or they got in touch with me, several people from the studio, hashed out what would make sense for both of the universes, which character would best fit, all of that kind of stuff, um, and then figured out a way to make it work. And it was a lot easier than I thought it would be. Like, you think about having a cameo of a character from a popular game, it should have been a much more difficult task, but it was really laid back and easy. Uh, but yeah, so I give basically the full credit to Daly for that one. I mean, it, it's interesting, right, that Trouser is the character that you picked. I love the choice, by the way. I, I'm always for uh, a cameo appearance by a character who is not a main character. Uh, the, the more obscure and weird, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, it's interesting because Trouser, of course, is the character who in the original ukulele basically sells the duo their moves. He he teaches them the, their moves throughout the game. And now he's in a game where the protagonists already have all of their moves from the outset. So I'm... Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, when when I uh, had that realization, I was like, "Oh, that's that's spicy." I I don't. I wonder if they're not going to get along because Trouser has nothing to do with it. <laughs> they do get along, and that's because Clive and Wrench really like puns, and Trouser is the ultimate pun named character. <laughs> I think they're already onto a good foot, you know. You know, speaking of cameos, this actually isn't Clive's first appearance in a video game. Uh, in a Diddy Kong Racing-esque twist, Clive has already appeared in a game that's actually close to uh, our staff, specifically Cameron here, Anton Ball Deluxe. That's the game that Cameron did the game's promotional art for. Now, Clive and Wrench, we, we consider uh, DKU, like I said, through our Kevin Baconing uh, system of, of trousers appearance. And uh, anyway, how does it feel for you that technically, because Clive was in Anton Ball Deluxe, it's also uh, sort of an Anton Ball spinoff in, uh, in the spiritual sense? I, it's... To be honest with you, having anything to do with uh, with Anton at all is great because I love the characters and I love uh, Anton Blah, and I also love what they're working on now. Um, but you should know that that is not Clive's first appearance. What? In another game. Uh, there's a game called Super Indie Carts that uh, their very early sprites appeared in, uh, and then that got relegated when I changed all of the all of the art design of the game uh, but they are still in there and they are coming back with refreshed sprites that reflect their current uh, look as well as uh, an alternate skin for their original so it's actually <laughs> Clive and Wrench is Clive and Wrench's third uh, game ah so fixed fixed Clive and Wrench yeah got it yes well that, that's so... first Clive and fixed Clive I completely spaced on that, and that's interesting because I just talked about Cameron's connections to uh, Anton Ball, and Super Indie Carts also has an appearance by Mutt from another long gestating 3D platformer, Lobo Destroyo, which I did some writing for. So uh, that's that's surreal how interconnected it all is here. Yep, this is exactly what you were saying about with the uh, going in circles but never quite bumping. Yeah. Yeah, it's like how a bunch of uh, rock musicians from the late 60s would, you know, meet in the clubs or pass, but never actually get to know each other. And I'm not comparing us to, you know, the Beatles or Elton John, but maybe I am. I don't know. Um, Which one are you? Oh, I I would be one of the Beatles for sure. Uh, Okay. Yeah, but probably Ringo. Well, I like your art. (laughs) Your paintings are nice. So, um, the fervor for Clive and Wrench has been uh, something that's been really cool to see. Just, um, I mean, I'm still using the sinking ship that is Twitter, and it's very fun to just see it run across my feed all the time um, while it still stands. Um, yep. So, what what's it been like to see Clive and Wrench reach this level of hype it has? And, I mean, it's being published by Numskull, who seem to be have been doing a terrific job getting the the word out about it and teasing that really quite beautiful looking collector's edition yeah yeah it's it's a really odd um feeling because i've developed ev- almost everything about it for the last decade has been really public so anytime i would you know animate something or um, put some level art in or something it would be shared and people would comment on it and so over time, I've seen the comments go from this is the ugliest, worst game I've ever seen. It looks like it controls terribly. The characters are unappealing. And it's slowly transferred to the point we are now where people actually want to play it. And to me, that's like because I've seen it so gradually change over time. It doesn't feel like it's that much different until I look back. So to see now we're at the point where, like you say, it's got collector's editions and people seem to be genuinely looking forward to it is um it's really humbling to be honest yeah you know due to you effectively being a one-person operation here you know clive and wrench it's quite possibly the most extreme indie game we've ever covered for dk vine i mean maybe it's neck and neck with idarp but that might be splitting hairs but this seems like a very weird case where yes you know, it's, it's a labor of love indie game that you've been working on for over a decade. But here we are. It's a full-fledged product. It's polished. It's robust, brimming with features. And you've got major backing 
physical releases across several continents. And you have all of the excitement and fanfare of a game that has, you know, usually 10 or 20 or 50 people working on it. What the hell was it like, you know, striving for that AAA experience while doing it yourself? Um, I think I am maybe uh, the best case example of biting off more than you can chew and then finishing the meal anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's 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 a really odd one, and I know that it's it's so many spinning plates and uh, so much to take in, uh, but it's um, it's quite amazing to see everything going. Uh, and now I'm going to say it, and it's all going to go wrong. Going as smoothly as it is, is uh, is pretty amazing, to be honest. And I have to, yeah, like you said, with um, Numscot, who have done a really good job so far of um, helping out and doing, pulling out all of the stops as well. So I'm 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 very pleased with it, but it's it's very surreal. During the the years you spent developing it, did you feel like not having you know, a large company watching over your shoulder for the majority of development came with its advantages? Or was it more of a disadvantage where you didn't have that pressure necessarily to drive you? I mean, where do you come down on the level of freedom you had in in developing this game versus what you might have preferred? Overall, working mostly alone is has been a benefit specifically for me and specifically for this project. And I feel like that's definitely going to be the exception to the rule. Uh, because I basically learned how to make games by making this game. Um, so if I had company input from early on, they'd have probably quickly realized I didn't know what I was doing and have <laughs> tried to take it away or tried to change it to something more simple. Um, and if you know, I'd decided early on to work with others then the vision and the idea that i had for it would have changed and i don't know whether that would have been a change for the worse or a change for the better and i guess i never would know but i am very happy that the ideas i had 10 years ago have come to fruition and they're pretty much untouched from the original uh, idea so that's pretty cool i was just going to say there are of course like drawbacks the biggest of which being um how long everything took and how um, how rough everything looked to begin with. And I imagine there are probably a number of people that saw those early versions of the game and now would hear the name Clive and Wrench and go, oh, I saw that, it looked awful, and not think about it again. So I imagine that might have an impact. Um, but overall, I'm pleased with how it ended up, so I can't really complain. Yeah, you, you talk about you know what you wanted the game to be early on, and... Let's talk a little bit about the obvious inspirations first. In the press bullet points, it singles out the inspirations as Spyro the Dragon and Jack and Dexter. And I see it. I I see both of the inspirations in there. But come on. Come on. I also see something else in there. When it comes to marketing, right? I say, hey, my inspirations are all of these obscure games or unreleased games that nobody's ever played. <laughs> <laughs> and Numskull go, yeah, but are there any that people actually know exist? Are there any that might actually hit a search engine and somebody would be looking for it? Yeah, okay, so, and I understand that from Numskull's perspective. I completely get it. But you're on DK Vine's conversation right now, <laughs> so... I know a good number of our listeners will be able to see this. I know our readers will be able to see this. So, come on, let's let's come out with it. There's quite a bit of 12 Tales Conquer 64 in the DNA of this game, isn't there? 12 Tales? I'm not sure I've heard of that one. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's, there's a huge amount in there. Like, you could even see... Um, there are two levels particularly that i imagine you would see and immediately go oh this guy really wants to play 12 tales uh, and that would be the wild west level and the ancient greece level right mm-hmm. i imagine you see those and it, like it's fairly obvious for for me it's the hats which honestly i'm surprised is a conceit more games haven't picked up on 
Right? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I was surprised when uh, A Hat in Time was announced, which was like I'd already been working on this for a long time, and they called it A Hat in Time. I thought, oh, no, my hat idea. They've they've taken the idea of hats, but they didn't. Not at all. It was just one hat through the whole game. Yeah, it, it wasn't called Hats in Time. So, no, that's I mean, true. They're probably saving that for the sequel, right? But here you are beating them to the punch. <laughs> Don't <laughs> yeah, sleep well, on yeah. a good idea. Yep. Or somebody might spend 10 years and then swoop in at the last second. I, I don't I don't want to, you know, go on about 12 Tales with you because obviously, you know, Clive and Wrench... No, please do. No, well, Clive and Wrench is its own thing and to compare it with the, like, middle ground of a long-in-development game from over 20 years ago that eventually saw release as Conker's Bad Fur Day would be doing Clive and Wrench a disservice. But I so seldom get to discuss the minutia of conquer history with somebody who isn't in my like uh, immediate DK Vine staff circle. So it's fascinating to see a game stir the same feelings that seeing those early screenshots of conquer stirred in me way back when. And and I remember looking at like a, you know, conquer getting chased by that Cyclops and, and just thinking like, what is this game going to be? I, and I was l- looking at Clive and Wrench footage. It was a few years ago at this point. It, it was when it really started like ramping up that, oh, hey, Clive and Wrench, it's actually happening. It's actually go- you know, reaching the finish line here. And I just remember thinking, this reminds me so much of 12 Tales in a, the best possible way. Like if, if they actually found a direction for 12 Tales and it saw release as intended. I don't think this has ever happened to me where I'm having the same sort of feelings towards a completely different game than I did from one in my childhood. And so you've, you've tapped into something, and I know there's a huge, not a huge, okay, but, but a relatively significant amount of people out there who, for whatever reason, mourn the loss of that original vision for Conquer. You know, they, they may even quite enjoy Conker's Bad Fur Day, but there's always that what if in the back of their head. And uh, I don't know, I, I think this is going to scratch a lot of itches that, that hasn't been able to be reached for a couple decades now. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people. Like, one of the people that had have magazines with articles that have poured over it. When that um, footage got released a few years ago of... Uh, you know, the B-roll from it. Mm. The amount of times I've seen that, I can't tell you, because I like Bad Fur Day, and I'm glad it turned out the way it did, but there's just something about 12 Tales that's appealing and draws me back, as, like you say, as that what-if. But to hear you say that it sparks that kind of similar feelings in you now, as you had towards it way back in the day, that's um, that does mean a lot, to be honest, because... You know that's huge. So we've we've talked about um, seeing um, some familiar level tropes for those who have also poured over that uh, Twelve Tales footage. But um, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the worlds in this game. There are honestly in a really impressive amount of them. Eleven, counting the hub world. Yeah, some of them are familiar territory for this kind of genre, like Tempest Tombs. Uh, the ancient Egypt or um, a grave mistake being a, a Transylvania level at the time of, of Vlad the Impala. Mm-hmm. But uh, others are a bit more off kilter or sort of like um, mix and match concepts like a uh, Cajun mob bog being uh, a swamp meets prohibition era in New Orleans or Iceratops with its um, Ice Age holiday dinosaur mashup. How did you uh, narrow down uh, which worlds would constitute the various time periods and uh, work to make each feel unique compared to what we've seen before? I, I think the reason that I picked time travel as the key skeleton of the game is because then I could basically justify any kind of level I wanted to do. And I could, you know, not have to narratively justify it too much because I can just say, oh, yeah, well, of course, you know, uh, Dr. Dorcas went there. So we're going there. Um, so it, 
that leaves me wide open. And it was effectively a case of what do I feel like working on? What levels do I really like in, you know, name any 3D platformer. Uh, what level do I really like in uh, Bugs Bunny Lost in Time, let's say. They had a uh, a prehistoric level that I really liked, but they've already done that, so what can I do to make it different? Okay, it's the Ice Age, but that's still not different enough. Well, what happens at winter? Okay, Christmas does. Banjo-Kazooie had a Christmas level. That was fun, but it was it's purely just Christmas, so why not mash those two things together? Then it creates something unique. It means that I have these weird opportunities for more punny characters, and I just rolled with it. So some of them turned out, like you say, with Tempest Tombs, it's straight up ancient Egypt, uh, but then that period of time is really interesting anyway, and there's so much to draw from. Whereas the Ice Age, we don't know a lot about, so if I can inject something different in there as well, then I can you know, tell a story that's never been told before. Uh, just makes things interesting for me to work on and i think that's mainly what it is i kind of figured that if it's fun to for me to make then maybe it'll be fun for somebody to play i am a bit confused about something and if there are spoilers you would rather not get into i completely understand because i don't want to ruin the surprise or experience for anyone including myself at this point but you've got all of these worlds and all of these time periods but how does the world Honey, I Shrunk the Chimp fit into the story where Clive and Wrench are miniaturized in Nancy's house? What? So, uh, the way that time travel works is that you're traveling through time and relative dimension. And in the first level, Nancy screws up the maths for the uh, dimension part of that. So instead of going back in time, they just get shrunk down and have to explore their own house in order to uh, find enough collectibles to uh, get out of there and give Nancy enough time to um, correct her mathematical issues. I picked the levels first and then justified it later. (laughs) (laughs) As a fan of Super Mario Land 2's macro zone and someone with rose-tinted nostalgia for the, the Toy Story 2 N64 game, I I love this conceit of taking a very mundane, like, suburban environment and turning it into a giant platforming challenge. So, like, personally, thank you for Bunny I Shrunk the Chimp. I love seeing that. But, like, a good opening level as well, because it gives you a, a good idea... Because it's Clive Wrench and Nancy's house... It gives you a good idea of them as characters, who they are. You know, you can see they've left pizza boxes and, and cans of um, soda around the place because they're not particularly uh, good at cleaning it, up. T- true Donkey Kong universe slobs. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And there are even uh, pictures on the walls that give you previews of places that they will travel to because, of course... Bunny I Shrunk the Chimp is actually canonically set after the events of the story. I'm so confused. (laughs) But but in a good way. I'm intrigued. Intrigued, but confused. I can't wait to figure out what the hell that means. (laughs) I'll continue to be deliberately cryptic. Now, I've only had a bit of a taste of the game. Um, Being a patron backer, you know, I, I got to experience a little bit way back, but... I'm mostly unspoiled, aside from the promotion that you've done with Numskull. Uh, I, I, I wanted to be mostly unspoiled going into this interview, and that will change before we actually do our uh, full-fledged First Impressions episode on Clive and Wrench at launch. But for me, and, and this, is, this is where I want to give you uh, props, I, I want to laud your writing and, and your masterminding here, the funniest joke I've encountered is the implied context in Tempest Tombs, where you take the theory that space aliens constructed the pyramids or, you know, gave the ancient Egyptians the knowledge to build the pyramids, whatever, but you turn it on its head by having them do it as forced laborers. <laughs> and yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to applaud you for it because that's the kind of stupid, dense joke that makes me laugh and and probably nobody else 
but I completely got what you were going for. Like as soon as I saw the first inkling of those the gray aliens in the in the Tempest tombs, and I was like, oh, oh my god, oh that's clever, that's clever. Well done. I've always had the feeling that you and I probably have a pretty similar sense of humor in that regard. I, I have to warn you right now, I don't know how lucrative that is. <laughs> oh, you know, no, that's true. But then, I, you know, I've I got to be true to myself, you know. I've got to make myself laugh first. Yeah. Everyone this is, else comes second. This is why I left Hollywood and decided to become a Donkey Kong journalist. Because I was like, well, I don't have any space anywhere else, so this is it. Maybe if Clive and Wrench fails, uh, I could I can switch lanes and be become a Donkey Kong journalist myself. Oh no, competition! Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the 3D platformers of uh, Rare and now Platonic have always um, distinguished themselves from others in the genre by feeling very immersive and lived in. Um, less obstacle courses or disguising that they are obstacle courses and more actual places that characters inhabit. And uh, uh, DK Vine Stafford Jeff was curious uh, if this in any way influenced uh, Clive and Wrench's worlds. Yeah, most definitely. I There's something about, I don't know, you take a Crash Bandicoot level, for example... And as much as I love those games, and there are a few levels, like a, sm- a few smaller boss levels in Clive that are more structured like that, those worlds always feel like they were made to be platformed in, if that makes sense. Whereas you know, with uh, with Banjo-Kazooie, for example, it, like you say, it feels like a world that characters live in that just so happens to perfectly double up as an obstacle course. And I really prefer that approach. So if I can make an obstacle course and disguise it well enough that you would believe that, you know, a uh, apron wearing chicken might live there, then uh, to me, that adds something to the experience. Coconut gun to your head. Don't think about it. Don't second guess it. Just say the first thing that comes to your brain. Which world is your personal favorite? Probably would be Bunny I Shrunk the Chimp. As in the first level in the game. All right. Because uh, it's the one that I think I iterated on the most. Because it was the first level. But it also is the one that I was able to inject the most amount of environmental storytelling into. And I was really happy that 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 worked. So, yeah, probably that one. Although I suppose my perspective is different because I can't see it like somebody playing the game for the first time would see it i can just see the bits that i put into it you know so uh just indulging us for a moment as a uh, fellow aficionados of three platformers you gotta ask the people are gonna want to know this is pretty contentious banjo kazooie or banjo tooie oh kazooie every time all easy. right <laughs> easy <laughs> any reason why it feels like the more pure experience. It's like streamlined and everything is, there's no, uh, it doesn't feel like there's any filler. It's like exactly what it needed to be, the perfect length. I could replay that game 10 times and then I'd replay Tui again and then I'd replay the first game 10 times again. That's kind of how I've always been. I mean, that, I mean that's how I feel personally myself. I, I, I mean, it, it's, something that we're divided on in DK Vine, but because I, I intellectually respect Tui and I admire so much about it, but yeah. you know, at the end of the day, what am I going to pick up more Banjo Kazooie? Cause it provides this, it, it's succinct. It's this like, uh, just perfect package from start to finish where Banjo Tui, I feel like I have to be in the right headspace for it. And I never it's, seem to be quite there. It's, it's something that even like I, personally consider Tui my more favored of the two, but Kazooie is far and away the one I replay more because it's simply very tight and easy to dip yourself into at any given time. I think the fact that this long after they both released, we can still have that discussion and nobody will ever really find a consensus uh, goes a long way to telling you the quality of both of them, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's fun to 
like have the debate because it's never really a contentious debate. Like if you're a fan of one, you're probably a fan of the other. But it, it is uh, something that nobody can agree on, and it's always just fascinating to hear somebody like you give their opinion because then oh okay yeah I, I see it and then somebody will come in and defend too you know like no I, I completely understand that so anyway we just had to know um but speaking of banjo kazooie you are aware that the time vortexes seen in this game are remarkably similar to the time travel effect in banjo kazooie grunty's revenge yes aware of that fact and there's even one single time that the uh, time traveling vortex changes to be even more like uh, that kind of uh, time travel. Yeah, I think w- uh, when I made that connection, uh, when, when I saw the footage of the the time tunnel, whatever, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's 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 almost exactly like Grunty's Revenge." And I I showed people, and they you know the. They, they walked away from me, you know, they, they moved to the other side of the street because I'm just the crazy person shouting things about a game nobody remembers or cares about. But thank you. Thank you for giving Grunty's Revenge uh, it, its uh, inadvertent spotlight here because uh, I, I do appreciate the thematic connections. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, maybe in Clive 2 there'll be a, a cameo from a Banjo character and it'll all come full circle. Oh, yeah. It'd have to be a Grunty's Revenge character, though, like uh, Bazai or... Uh, the Jinjo Oracle. The Jinjo Oracle, yeah. I was like, what are what are some other weirdos from that game? Changing gears a little bit to uh, an adjacent series. I mean, how do you think Wrench would get on with the Donkey Kong cast? Wrench being, you know, the monkey of the oh. duo. Would Wrench make Diddy jealous? Would fellow mechanic Funky take him in as his own sidekick? See, here's the thing about Wrench... He is, there's more to him than you might think. And he's a lot smarter than he lets on. So I think he would probably deliberately uh, change his personality slightly with each of the Kongs to try and befriend them all because life's a lot easier when the people around you like you. But I think ultimately, yeah, he'd probably probably spend most of his time with diddy i i would like to spend more time with diddy too if they would put him in more games that would be nice or you know any of the characters in any game (laughs) so on a on a related note and uh i admit i'm pretty curious about this myself uh dk vine staffer gem aka gibbon wanted us to ask how did you land on a rabbit and a monkey as a as the titular duo um well the so the wrench didn't always exist in the early versions of the game it was just clive and so my thought process was which animal jumps a lot a rabbit jumps a lot and it was really no more thought than that it just that is the way it is and then in a very uh and i believe it's the way that kazooie came to be Mm -hmm. uh, i started adding more moves to clive until the point that he had a jetpack and a energy zapping glove, and then I started to want to give him a pair of shoes, and it started to get ridiculous. And I thought, instead of having a bunch of gadgets attached to him, why not create another character? Um, and of course, at that point, I'd firmly settled on the the pun comes first aspect, and at which point I decided, well, he's going to have a and sidekick. They should probably be an animal that would complement or fill in the gaps of his moves. And Clive, of course, I wanted to be able to glide. So the natural choice was a monkey that he could swing around his head. And if I was going to go with a monkey, uh, then monkey wrench is the obvious pun. Uh, So (laughs) that was it. It was as simple as that. I thought the pun was the monkey on your back. Well, it's this is the thing. It's a double pun. Oh, that, oh, that's why it works. There's it's so many layers. Oh my god. Yeah, you know, personally, like I, I would never ask why a monkey. I'm asking why not more monkeys. But I, I'm quite happy with with Ranch. I'm quite happy you made that decision because I mean, just the visual of swinging a monkey around <laughs> as as a method of. Uh, 
the what the, the chimp chopper is is the name of the move. Um, mm-hmm. That's I, it's absurd, but it's delightful. And yeah, you're right. That's exactly how Kazooie came about. They just started adding more uh like elements to banjo oh why don't we have wings coming out of the backpack why not just make it a bird why not just make it a fully fleshed character why not just make that the game um that's i mean that that's how these things come about but i do really admire whenever developers of any sort decide that the best way to utilize a move set or functionality is just to add more characters because to me characters are really what make a game's world come alive. And the more populated it is, the more you have to follow, the more interesting quirks you you can have, the more exciting and varied the game is. So, uh, yeah, I I completely support your notions behind Wrench, 100%. Well, just wait until you find out his secrets, and then you can get back to me about that. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh. Is there a monkey's paw situation here? <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't possibly tell you that, but it's um, it's a, it's a very good pun. So, what are some other less obvious inspirations for Clive and Wrench that might surprise people? Like e- even things that aren't platformers or even video games. You know, we we often see you know the DNA of some of that in in the games we love. Like you know, obviously Donkey Kong Country has a lot of George Lucas in it from the minecart sequences from Temple of Doom to the treetop town that's just a reskinned Ewok village. What other aspects outside of 3D platformers went into Clive and Wrench? Um, well, within games, but outside of 3D platformers, uh, my favorite game of all time is uh, Medieval on the PS1. So there's a lot of influence from that when it comes to the... Mm a grave mistake level and um also the kind of uh balancing dark situations with light humor so there's a lot of that um one of my favorite movies is the uh the mummy from 1999 and there's a lot of that in tempest tombs a lot of that kind of uh fantasy version of ancient egypt appears in that um but then also a lot of uh mafia movies like goodfellas or carlito's way or you know even the godfather have a lot of influence over cajun mob bog um so yeah basically every level is like this weird mishmash of just things i like that are vaguely connected to the theme of the world so uh, aside from aforementioned trouser uh which character in Clive and Wrench, do you think our audience will connect with the most? Oh, good question. Um, I think I would hope that they would connect with Nancy the most, but I think that's mainly because uh, I feel like there's more of me in that character than anyone else. That kind of, um, uh-oh, I made a mistake. Now I feel very guilty about it, and I'm going to go completely out of my way to uh, make up for that, even if it wasn't really her fault in the first place and i think that's uh i think that's something that i'd like people to connect with uh but i feel like people are probably going to enjoy uh drew the ripper as a goofy very useless uh villain (laughs) who clearly has delusions of grandeur drew the ripper by the way for those who aren't aware is the Jack the Ripper pastiche in uh, the what was it the Victorian London world? Yes, yes. And he also makes a, a, a sort of cameo appearance in the Wild West level as well because Ooh. those two worlds are a couple of years apart. No, oh, I hadn't even considered the the possibility of overlap there. Mm. That's you know, most levels have a sister level, and I won't give away exactly how that works, but. You can kind of maybe piece it together that a lot of the worlds are connected in several ways. So um, this question comes from Cotbox, one of our patrons, and it's one of the most DK Viney questions we could ever hope for. If you could envision a spin-off title for Clive and Wrench, what genre would you want to do? I think the easy answer is Kart Racer, because 
that's what everybody does. But I think there's a lot of competition there. Like, how do you how do you outdo Diddy Kong Racing, Mario Kart, Crash Team Racing? I don't think that's possible. So it'd have to be something odd. I think maybe like a Tony Hawk style extreme sport game. Because I like the visual of all of the weird characters in Clive with their odd proportions trying to uh, get around on a skateboard. And because those kind of arcade uh, inputs would work with that kind of animation style. So I think that. You know, it's it's funny you say that because I've sometimes argued that what what could you use for maybe the Donkey Kong cast as a little side spin-off title that, you know, Mario already hasn't completely taken over. And it's like, oh, extreme sports, that would be fun. That would be uh, apropos. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Like that, that area hasn't really been delved into by all of these franchises that, that have game after game after game. And yeah, it's it's ripe for the taking. Tony Hawk sounds like the name of a 3D platformer mascot. <laughs> right? To be honest, a lot of the level design in Tony Hawk games kind of influence the way that I design levels because they have that flow. Like from any point in the level, there should be several different directions you can head in that are interesting and i really appreciate that as a level design philosophy so i think it lends itself better than you might initially think when you hear the suggestion you know absolutely uh but not to go backwards or anything on what you just said but you said how can you do another kart racer because how could you outdo diddy kong racing i don't care about outdoing diddy kong racing i just want another game like diddy kong racing so you know you, you just uh you just have a loose adventure with the racing put a a, a giant talking pig in there I, I i think it's a winning formula the giant talking pig would have to have a really punny name though uh, yeah, I guess Whizpig doesn't really uh, meet your standards, does it? No, <laughs> no. I might. I have a. I have a figure of him sat next to me at my desk. But yeah, no. Whizpig. There's a name. Not quite punny enough. So, was there any point in the last twelve years where you were ready to throw in the towel, or or you got to the point where you were? just so beaten down by the slog of making this that you never thought the game would actually be finished. So I've had moments of burnout and I've had moments of self-doubt, but it's never really been because I didn't believe in myself. It was more um, based on feedback from like outside sources. I remember the first time I ever released a demo of the game in 2014 or something and i'd worked on it for a solid three years and then all of this feedback flooding in about how unpolished it felt and how bad it felt to control and moments like that i did sort of step back and think am i wasting my time but it doesn't really last very long because i always just had such a passion for it that what else am i gonna do with my time (laughs) You're basically the epitome of of someone who made their dream come true. I mean, you're here, you're on the precipice of having a major international release that will actually be in physical stores. I mean, I mean, it's not not just, you know, digital storefronts. It's it's going to be out there. Uh, you know, game stores are are promoting it. Our our friend Malik, the cartoon gamer, uh, shared on social media the other week. Oh, he saw uh, saw Clive and Wrench a, a trailer for it in his game store. So, I mean, that's that's just incredible. So, you know, sitting where you're at at the perspective you have, what advice would you give to people who are struggling to make their own dreams come true? Uh, about, about persistence, about about what they need to do to finally, you know, cross that finish line? I think I would have to say that you you have to really, really want to achieve it and you have to sacrifice basically anything and everything else that gets in the way if you ever hope to get there. And even then, I still feel like there's an awful lot of survivorship bias in that I've made it this far and there's been a lot of luck involved. <laughs> so I, I don't necessarily know whether I'm the right person to give the advice. I'd imagine asking somebody who who didn't 
get to the point where their game was finished is probably uh, more helpful than asking me because the truthful answer is I don't know how I got here. I just plugged away and hoped for the best and things fell in place. That's probably not a helpful answer, but it's I, I mean, maybe that's just... maybe that is the advice right there. Is is just don't think about it. Shut out all of the the criticism and uh, naysayers, and and just keep true to your vision. Maybe that said, so close to the finish line, uh, how hard are you going to sleep come March? I'm I'm already past the point of not sleeping well, so I uh, <laughs> I have no idea. By the time the game actually comes out, I'm going to be so out of it, I probably won't be uh, conscious to the fact. You know, winding down here, uh, I, I want to thank you again for um, spending this last hour with us, because I realize you are extraordinarily busy, and a lot of major outlets want to spend some time with you in the run-up to the release, so thank you for sitting with a relatively small podcast and website, but I have to know, okay, because the weird cosmic coincidence of this just seems astounding to me you started developing clive and wrench in 2011 which was the year of the rabbit now Mm -hmm. be honest did you really just decide you needed to wait until the next year of the rabbit rolled around to release it yeah, so the game was finished like three or four years ago, and I've just had my feet up since. Uh, just, just waiting for this year to roll around for the marketing opportunity, yeah. Uh, releasing a game is really easy, especially during COVID, uh, but I just decided, why bother? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just going to take all of that at face value and not sense yep. any sarcasm whatsoever. Uh, interesting, yeah, yeah. interesting, yeah. Interesting yeah. strategy, but I think it's going to pay off dividends for you. So, uh, like I said, galaxy yeah. brain thinking here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wait, waiting for an anniversary year, that's that's always the smart route for releasing your video game. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is my year of the Luigi. Okay. Uh, <laughs> So once again, Clive and Wrench will be available February 24th on Nintendo Switch, PlayStations 4 and 5, and Steam. And physical editions will be available for Switch and PlayStation in Europe and North America this month, and then coming to Australia in March. And you can possibly look forward to Clive and Wrench 2 in 2035, the next Year of the Rabbit. Twelve more years. Twelve more years. So the uh, that's a lot of pressure. That's <laughs> not a very long time to get the next game done, you know. <laughs> well, maybe you could change the uh, change the protagonist and uh, tie into some other zodiac animal. It's twelve more years to come up with a better name than Clive and Wrench too. Yeah, that's true. It's got to be a punny title. Clive and Wrench isn't punny enough. I feel like I've fallen on the first hurdle. This has been a File 2 production. Hey, Rico.